Hello, welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind and how it works, mental illness and mental health. With me is Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. Today, we're talking about different parenting styles. But before we did, we wanted to mention the fact that this podcast is now a, a book, a real book made of paper in real bookshops and um, uh, called Mining Your Mind, not surprisingly, and we're, we're excited. Oh, we're very excited. It's excellent, I'm told. Yeah. And I, what we've done is take a lot of the – well, we've divided into three sections, how your mind works – what can go wrong, which deals with anxiety and depression and other things, burnout, etc., and then how to improve your mental health. And there are, I don't know, we wanted to pack it full, as we've tried to pack this podcast full, of really specific strategies that people can use to not necessarily, I mean, to deal with mental illness, but also just to go from a 6 out of 10 to a 7 out of 10 to improve, to maintain and improve their mental health. Oh, come on, James, all the way to an 8.5. Uh, even a 9. We, we do want to promote mental health and well-being, and I think it's not a boring book. And someone said to me recently, it's quite humorous, and I said, that's because James is humorous. Wow. We've tried to keep the tone a bit like the podcast. Accessible. Accessible, that is the word, mm. yes, and interesting. And not only that, you can put it beside your bedside table and read a small amount. Yeah. Every night. You can start, as I do, with the sports pages at the back, work your way forward if you wish, find a topic in the middle. There's lots of interesting topics, I think. There My are. My favourite topics, your favourite topics. Yeah. The best. For- forgiveness, what is love? Not and just, you know, like you think mind stuff, but we've tried to branch out into into lots of things that we encounter all the time. Like sometimes you've got a grudge, do I forgive that someone? Sometimes you think, do I love that person? What does that actually mean? So all sorts of things you might use your mind for emotions thoughts yeah read it buy it buy it read it okay, feedback don't go too send hard. us feedback send, no, send us feedback because yes. we're trying to work out you know the topics that are of greatest interest to people we are all right so today what is the best way to parent a child in the first few years of life how should you support their emotional development how you should you support the development of the way they think should you indulge your child's every whim, smother them with love, affection and stuffed teddy bears? Will that make them grow up to be loving and emotionally open or turn them into a spoiled brat? Should you set strict boundaries early on, let them know what is good behaviour and what is bad behaviour and make it clear you only get ice cream when behaviour is good? New parents get bombarded with so much advice, uh, often well-meaning from friends, relatives, in-laws, on the internet, from books, as to the best ways to bring up young children in their first, let's say, five or so years of life. Surely, Ian, all the research must have come up with a definitive, simple answer by now. What is the best way to parent a youngster? Oh, that that was so – I mean, really, we'd be out of business, wouldn't we? And, and I really wanted to do this episode because I – listeners won't know, but I've been jet-setting around the world again in the post-COVID world, which I've been enjoying a great deal. And I'm tied up with two separate kind of things. One is about how do brains develop under different environmental circumstances. Mm. And there's some really interesting work in this, a lot of brain imaging research going on, some fabulous places like the Child Mind Institute in New York trying to work out how to do this best. This is the kind of – what would be the best environment to sculpt brains to be the best that they could be? Mm. On the other hand, I'm tied up with a worldwide project of parenting in particularly traditional cultures in the developing world. 
It's based on the same idea, how to promote the best development, but paying great respect to different cultural traditions. Yep. How's it done in different parts of the world? Leading to the, have we lost the plot in the West <laughs> about right. actually how to do this in our small little nuclear families and our little dyads of one parent and a child in a particular way? And it's really interesting because there's real tension. And then people come to exactly the question you ask, okay, so what's the answer? Mm. <laughs> to which the researchers go, well, what is it you're looking for? What are you hoping is the outcome? So I'm going to ask you the question, James, and if I can speak several languages, I'll give you the answer in several different languages. As a parent of a young child, mm. what matters most to you? And then there's a separate sort of question. In the culture in which you live, what has the highest value? What do you think you get the most pressure for your child to be in the society that you live in? Well, I mean, most parents say, I just want them to grow up and live a happy life. Right, and whether that means being the CEO of a giant company or being a painter or being a plumber, if they're happy and satisfied, then that is the main thing. However, they say that, and then often you find them saying, "Oh, let's just get a math tutor because you're right. nearly three now." You're nearly three, and yeah. you haven't read Shakespeare, yeah, and you don't really understand Einstein yet. Yeah. What's up, flashcards, tutor? That's very important because in the West in particular, that bit around cognitive performance hmm. in the preschool bit, being as smart as you can possibly be you know, in a written maths, English, if, it's, if you speak English, in a language sense, reading, to be school ready in order that you then do the best at school. And in fact, in, fact, in many of our societies, it's very true in North America, if you're not, you've already fallen behind. And then the life trajectory of cognitive and educational performance is down. You've already failed hmm. if you haven't <laughs> preschool tutored, you know. Yeah. And then you go, hang on a sec. Is that really even desirable short term to be really smart, if you can be really smart, at five, as distinct from what would you be like at 15 or 25? Now, this is important because in cognitive development, doing too much of that too early narrows brain development for cognitive function. The best example being- Narrows it in what way? You're trying to learn to do very specific things. Mm. It's actually a stage of brain growth when you want to do as many interesting things as possible. Oh, so you mean if you're tutored, you know, through primary school or even before it on maths, then you become very good at maths, but you miss out on a lot of other possibilities. Right. Yep. Now, really good because too much of your brain space is taken up with maths. At a time you should be growing it to the biggest thing it can possibly be. Yeah. You're actually pruning it or forcing it into one particular capability. Right. Best example being in, in cultures we're dealing with. How many languages is it good to speak when you're young? Uh, I'm very strong on this. I have a very firm view of this. One. When, when my, so a, a couple of my kids are quite into languages and they want to do them. And I say, it's a waste of time. But my wife says, no, you should do it. And they listen to her and they do them. And I say, thank God your wife is gonna, one of the most. never going to learn. Thank God your wife, Lucy, is one of the most sensible people on earth. And I'm afraid to say the science of longer term cognitive development is on her team. However, many of our educational systems, NAPLAN, whatever, want you to be proficient in one language, in our case English, yeah. at the earliest possible thing to get the highest grade. Yeah. So it is true that kids that learn lots of different languages don't do as well on tests of English at a young age. Right. Right? So the short term, if you want to do really well on NAPLAN or some other test at four or five, learn one language. If you want to be a really bright, empathic, really nice person and a great person in the world, learn as many as you possibly can. Oh. At an age when the brain really? can actually, yes, 
But it's just it's like maths. It's just learning a whole heap of words for for things that no, we no, already no, have words for. No, 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 it's not. No. no. Oh God, thank God. Youngest son, youngest child, number six, had breakfast with him this morning about language because he speaks several and I don't. Yeah. It's about empathy. It's about understanding. It's about anthropology. It's about, it's about culture. It's just rote learning different words for window. No. Oh God, James. <laughs> episode episode to come down the track: language, anthropology, and humans. No, but I understand going and living in a different culture. Is about empathy, but how is learning all these different words and sentence construction and then twice in your life you go to France and you can order in the cafe? Well, what's that oh got to God, do with this empathy? This episode has got totally diverted to our initial purpose. <laughs> but what's that got to do with empathy? Oh, language is tied up in actually empathy and emotional, emotional expressions. Come to this. This is yeah. really important, how people express themselves in different languages and what that really means. And do you know what I mean? Obviously, when someone translates, you haven't got a clue what they actually really mean, yeah, what that emotional expression really means in French or Spanish or Pashtun or anything else around yeah. the world. I use the Pashtun one because I've been involved in a project in Afghanistan and northern Pakistan. Really? About, yeah, the expression, my child. Now, now, parents around the world say, in the most difficult world circumstances, I still want my child's bright future. Now, that's a very poor translation from the Pashtun, but the parental aspiration is universal. Yeah, even in the most yeah, definitely. But what is it? What is it? So in a lot of situations where people are being discouraged from learning their traditional language to learn English in order to get successful, or in our situation, to flashcard kids at three yeah. in maths or whatever, to, give, to pass the exam so that they don't miss out because we put such a high value on education. If you miss educational opportunities. So for example, in the United States, there's a huge emphasis on coaching very young children to not miss out because if they miss out, <laughs> they're then off the lifetime trajectories in education because mm. a very strong selection process from a very young age, very competitive in that particular thing. And then you say, but, but, and I say, that's the cognitive development. What about the emotional development? Going back to where you started, what would be the nicest thing? You know, what's the sort of nicest, what's the best you could do for a child to have the best emotional state? Not just short term, mm. but long term. Now, in a recent episode, we discussed empathy, for example. Yeah, we did. What would be the best environment to understand that of others? Yeah. So in traditional cultures, that's like also how do you fit in? This is the village brings up the child, you know, by as many interactions with many different peoples to understand the worlds of that. Hmm. In our cultures, and I reminded this again in uh, North America recently, it's all become about the emotional world of the one child. Everyone orientates yeah, themselves yeah. around that child. There's a huge debate going on in there about the traditional difference between the harsh, controlling, authoritative parent, stick to the rules, think English boarding schools, send them yeah. off, versus what in the last decade has been called gentle parenting. So can I suggest a framework for this discussion? Tell me if this works or doesn't work. Imagine an X and Y axis, a horizontal and a vertical. I love these visual cues on podcasts. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and one of them is strict at one end, lenient at the other. Yes. And the so that's the horizontal, horizontal. one. Then the vertical one is nuclear family at one end, uh, raised by the tribe at the other end. So the amount of different... Di different social influences. Yes. That, that, is, did, is that kind of... Yeah. Can I, oh, no. Oh, this is no, okay, three-dimensional. Three-dimensional. The other okay. third dimension, yeah. I thought you were going to go the classic two-dimension uh, thing here, is between care and control. Oh, that's almost... That's similar to the first one, but I guess it is different, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, no. And, um, oh, how much great freedom respect, you give it? Yeah, with great respect to uh, Gordon Parker, who I work with him in. Yeah. Uh, he looked at parental bonding instruments, and the two dimensions were care, high care to low care. Right. And high control to low control. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, now that's a very control. The, why I say this is control varies a lot by culture, right? Right. 
So some cultures, some Southern European cultures, some traditional cultures are seen to be very controlling. Yes. Others, you know, great Montessori sort of thing, you know, let the kid do anything they like. Just let them run free. Let them run free. Mm. In all that research about emotional outcomes, things risk to depression, but emotional development, the dimension, the only dimension that mattered was care. Mm. Low care, bad. So High we've care, said, good. So we've said this before in I think our episode and book chapter on how families work, the most important factor for children is to grow up in a loving environment being cared for. Yes, you've so, said that. Yes, yeah, so and a lot of these uh, debates I'm in at the moment about because they're really about this control. They're about this social kind of bit, mm. and they do take the dimension of the sort of single parent versus the village. Yes, but they also have this control dimension. How controlling? Tell the child what to do. Give it rules. Sit down. Punish if it doesn't. Versus, be totally indulgent of the child's sort of state. Let them do anything. Mm. Don't react. Yeah. So care and control is very similar to strict versus lenient. Well, I think well. In the early research, you can be actually some people that appear very controlling can actually be very caring. Yeah, I don't true, think they are true. the same. And some people who appear very uh, uncontrolling can actually be very uncaring too. Oh, uh, okay. <clears throat> I was workshopping with my parents on a group call this morning with a child, grandchild's birthday in Canada. I was mm. fortunate to see a number of my children at the same time. Nice. I workshopped them, described dad's style, mm. uh, various words like hands off, home alone, <laughs> neglectful. You? <laughs> yeah, me. Oh. You're feeling okay? You're laughing, but well, because I have a reply to that. I've employed the village. <laughs> oh, I see. It was a deliberate strategy to 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 share the. No, care. it was no, it wasn't deliberate. You're it was selfish. Busy. It was selfish. Yeah. It suited me to be hands off. Suits yeah. my style in some ways, but I but not necessarily. I hope I have to go back and workshop this uncaring. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So let's go back to these three ones. Start with strict versus lenient. So. You know, I think a lot of parents think, well, it's really important to establish boundaries and say, you know, we love you and care for you, but you, you can't, I don't know, throw a glass across the room. And if you do, you're outside the bounds of what's appropriate and acceptable, and there'll be a consequence of that. Sometimes you look at your partner when something like that's happened and say, do we really go there this time? Do we Do we enforce that? Or do we say... You know, she's had a really, really bad day and she's really frustrated. Let's just let this one slide. So that's kind of an example of the strict versus lenient. What what should we be doing? Yeah, no, it's, it's exactly right. And so in some of the kind of, I would say, more extreme forms of the lenient bit running at the moment, mm. huge pressure. This has actually been uh, coming to the fore again because of COVID. Parents being stuck with their kids at home all the yeah. time with little kids, particularly under the age of five and particularly under the age of sort of four and three. Mm. Do you have to have boundaries, consequences? Consequences is a very important word you raise, and I like them because, as you know, Jamie, I'm a raging behaviourist. I like one thing to lead to something else. Yeah, right. So you learn from it. Yeah. Whatever is the outcome. So that does outcome. work. That is the theory, but it does work. Oh, it works. Yeah. But it's rejected but it works by, if you're three. It works marvellously if you're three. Good. <laughs> if you believe that the that's what you want. If you stick at it. If you're consistent, yeah. you just said the most important thing, if parents have an argument about it while the kid's actually burning the house down, yeah. <laughs> argue about consequences. Well, there is an anti-consequence movement. There's this belief system that actually, no, we shouldn't have consequences. Children, right. children are not. Boring. The children are not rodents. Children are not dogs. We're not trying to train them mm. that they've got this rich emotional world underneath. And if they're doing stuff, we should explore their emotional world with them at age three. 
Okay, so if they throw a glass across the room, how's that explore? They're exploring anger. What is anger? Why did you do that? How did you feel about that? What did that? Is that the kind of thing? Let's yeah. talk about it. Yeah, they throw. Yeah, it yeah, all the time. Kid throws another. Well, it's based on the idea. So you're not a fan of that. This this will become fairly obvious yeah, I think, right. fairly quickly. But it's kind of. But it is very interesting because it is actually doing something that traditional cultures, you know, the English boarding school thing or the harsh authoritarian thing. Mm sort of denied, if you like, or ignored the fact that, of course, kids have feelings. And I'm from the world of we'd like kids to be able – we'd like people to grow up and be able to understand their emotional world yes. as well as their sort of cognitive world and other worlds yeah. in a way. So, yes, they do have feelings like they have thoughts. Mm. This kind of stuff at its extreme end, though, is driven by an idea that actually every time a kid is what we would call misbehaved or breaks rules or causes trouble, they're actually expressing some sort of stress or distress, some elaborate emotional world. And so at that point I go, oh, hang on. <laughs> it's a bit like they're thinking. Are their thoughts that well developed? Are they really – but it encourages a great deal of talking about it and exploration of it. Mm. And what I was interested to find this time in the United States was – because a lot of parents have been told you're a really bad parent now. If you don't spend a huge amount of time abandoning consequences in favour of this exploration of the kid, mm. of their emotion around every single behaviour. I mean, you can do both, can't you? You say, you threw that glass, so there's a consequence of that. No. Well, let's talk put about the consequence down. No, no, put the consequence down. But can't you do both? Like, oh, you, can, well, well. you can add a consequence, but also explore the reasons. I'm here in favour of the consequence. Right. Now, exploring a reasons, you negotiated with many three-year-olds recently? Not for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. Well, it assumes that there's a whole lot of cognitive processes behind that. Right, where it's just kind of a reaction. A lot of it's, yeah, a lot mm. of it is actually... An emotional, overwhelming... Well, it's desirable. I want the chocolate cake. I want the ice cream. I want to do something. Mm. I'm frustrated with something. But the more, extre the more extreme views of this sort of suggest, oh, no, 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 the child's really got some deeper emotional state and is stressed or is distressed by the particular circumstances well, in which he's born at length. Oh, well, I think that becomes – does that become more relevant? And we're not talking – this is about zero to five-year-olds. We're not talking about teenagers. But contrast to teenagers where, you know, that sort of behaviour, you know, if you had a rule, don't slam your door – and there's doors being slammed. You know, teenagedom is a complex time and do you really want to go and talk to your teenage kid every time they slam a door? Excellent point. Mm. So by contrast, we spend a lot of time on this uh, podcast talking about youth. They've got growing up cognitions. They're still developing brains, I must yeah. say. They're still growing brains and they've developed new emotional circuitry actually at that age, yeah. 13 to 15, you know. Slamming so a door can be really satisfying, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some big kids do it occasionally. Well, actually, well, 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 we need to express our own emotions. There's another thing now. You must express your emotions in words. Oh, okay. Well, sometimes I don't want to express my emotions in words. Mm. I'd yeah. rather kick the lamppost or, you know. Yeah. Or so that's a, the footy out the you road. Know, for and, a you teenager, know. that's okay. It doesn't necessarily, you know, have to oh, rule breach. Let's talk about it all. And it's just, they were, they felt frustrated. There's hormones going crazy. Slammed door. They might feel a bit better. And the physical expression of emotion, the physical expression yeah. of emotion, sometimes is okay. You know, I got teenagers. Had have had teenagers. Go climb a wall. Go play football. Go run around the block. Yeah. Let's not sit down and talk about it for another five hours mm. when you don't want to. And and but so going back to zero to five, the difference is it's important that they learn before it becomes ingrained that if you've got a rule about not slamming doors and it's 
breached, there's a rule breach, that there is some consequence. You can talk about it with them if you like as well. But well, in the extreme version, why are there rules? Why are there Should rules? there be rules? Well, yeah, for the orderly running of society and right, so you, a now, family. Right. So here am I from the Western world, out there dealing with a whole lot of developing cultures in Africa and the Middle East. Oh, and less there, rules? No. They're saying More rules. That, <laughs> the critique that comes back because we're encouraging – all sorts of things, including play and creativity and engagement and running mm. around and not being hothoused in a particular thing. The traditional cultures running around with siblings in, in a disorderly way, right? So, yeah. you know, we're encouraging kind of stuff. And, we, and actually some of the cultures have pushed back and said, hang on a second, what about a bit of respect for elders? What about a bit of what are the rules? What about actually the consequences? You know, it isn't as simple as just indulging the wishes or the feelings or the desires of a child. Mm. And not only that, we want the kids to understand they are part of the village and the village has needs and the village has – you're just one part. It isn't all about you. Mm. You're not the little emperor in the kind of Chinese tradition or the little princess here or you are actually one part. Now, this kind of runs contrary to a lot of Western sort of stuff which have made children much more precious, much more central. You know, the one or two children we each have in small families is a very precious thing. But that's a natural desire, you think – I want my kid to be happy and have a good time, really. They've got time enough for mortgages and, you know, relationship traumas when they're older. If they're having a good time, that's great. Let's head towards things that they enjoy. Well, that's what you say. That's the way you well, say it. But, but, also, but it's you, kind of natural to think that if you're a parent, isn't it? Well, there is one aspect of that, yes. So I think the universality of parents want kids to be happy and engaged. Not, mm. to be, not many parents want their kids to be miserable. But in different cultures, people also want them to understand the cultural rules. They want to understand why fitting in to a religious tradition or a cultural tradition and being a well-behaved member of society because it reflects very badly on the parents if the kids are badly behaved. Failure right. of parenting. Your kid fails to show respect for our traditions. Your kid fails to fit in to our traditions. Your kid has no idea of the rules, you must have behaved. Now, it's not just to be rule-bound. It's not to authoritarianism, you know. This isn't sort of parental Stalinism or anything, but actually because they are just one part of a thing. Mm. They're not so unique. They're not so special, special in one sense because the group needs people to understand the group's needs. They're not just making up rules for the hell of it, mm. <laughs> you mm. know. It's required a more orderly society and a more cohesive, which we've discussed a lot, a more cohesive society means understanding the needs of others. Mm. There's also an empathy question. You know, if it's all about you all the time and your feelings and not actually what your parents are feeling, what yeah. other people are yeah. feeling, what your siblings are feeling. So in the extreme version of this in the US, you see this kind of it's almost the role of a parent to run around constantly with the one child, responding continuously to that child's feelings and emotions in 20 different situations. Right, right. And this is presented then to parents, and particularly, of course, the target of a lot of this is mothers. You know, you've got to be like this or you've failed. Yeah. The bit I'm tied up on the other parts of the world is, you know, we're encouraging creativity and play and mm, whatever else, mm. and engagement of fathers, I might say, mm. well, in a lot of this. Mm. And people go, yeah, 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 I kind of get that. And I get that this may be important to the development of particular things. But but have you guys in the West gone too far <laughs> with right. this kind of liberalism, forgotten the collective identity and the extent to which one learns to be part of a group? Mm. Through... And you would obviously agree with that. So I agree with that. So before you go on to that, just going back to the first axis, strict versus lenient, you would say 
have clear boundaries, is for zero to fives, have rules and think about the rules. Don't just, you know, have millions of rules. But if there's something that you think is important and you want to make it a rule, make it a rule, make it clear. And when it's transgressed, you know, there needs to be a consequence or else what's the point of having it? Yeah. So in the classic behaviourist sense, you know, good things are reinforced by praise and by rewards and good stuff, encourages good stuff. And you don't have to get in a debate with the kid about why. <laughs> you right. Know, you know, where at the some ad- point you do. At three? Well, I don't know. At some point kids start saying, I felt upset. Why couldn't I slam my door? It's my room. Yeah. So, so when you, that happens, you've got to. Right. So the more verbal the kid, and, and a kid's cognitive development varies. I mean, some three-year-olds so are smarter. So maybe that's three. Maybe that's seven or five. On a, yeah, yeah. So in a, matching the degree of cognitive development that's going on. Yeah, right. But, you know, no need to write a book on the subject. Yeah. You know, yes, there is a reason and as a consequence mm. for transgressing. Mm. And, uh, well, there are positive things when you do the things that are what yeah, you want yeah, you to yeah. do. There's reinforcement of that. And when you break the rules, there are consequences. Now, of course, that's also been difficult because in the past, punishment was pretty popular and physical punishment was pretty popular if you broke the rules, right? Now, in one sense, it works, <laughs> Right? It's very effective in stopping a behaviour, mm. but we've moved to a social situation where we think not so good, you know, mm. in a particular way, for good reasons. Mm. So we've got to find other ways mm. of actually what are the other consequences, how do we make it clear yeah. that's unacceptable, okay. that actually still works with a three-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's go back to the, the next axis, which is nuclear versus uh, sorry, the village. Yeah, yeah, nuclear versus village. How the range of voices and experience, how big the group is, that helps raise the child. And we were talking about it earlier. You, you would say, I think the takeout is is try and make it wider than parents' kid. Yeah, yeah. So this has been really hard during COVID for a lot of new parents. And in our wider world, it's really hard. The degree of disconnection between parents. And wider world. So the pressure on young parents and parents of this to actually get a village around them in Western societies is really hard. Mm. Whereas traditional societies have got us all over us. Yeah. Where parent well, well, where those structures are intact, in many parts of the developing world, actually where parents have to leave to go and work elsewhere, or there's all sorts of other issues. So it's not I'm not getting into a simple contrast here. In different parts of the world, this is playing out in different ways. Really hard. But the expectation for example, you know, very much in many parts of the world as part of economic development, women are more likely to go out into the workforce and certain sort of age groups and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The idea, who, well, who is involved in parenting? Having mm. groups that are around all the time. As my own kids were remarking, Dad, you seem to be rather career-orientated a lot of life and not been here a lot of the time and been elsewhere. Yes, true. But has your life ever been lacking a whole bunch of other rich, involved and caring people? So people who are really what a dangerous emotionally question to ask. Yes, yeah. it has, Dad. <laughs> Well, okay. Yeah. In fact, as I've said on this show many times, there's a general agreement in my family. They were better at it than me anyway. Right. So actually, it was a good substitution. Mm. But but having whoever they are, parents, grandparents, other people in the world, why does it clear groups of people who care with that high caring but are also very engaged? But importantly, they're different. They're emotionally different. So the kid can learn that the yeah. emotional state of others is not just their mother or their dad or one other. It's actually the emotional state of others is complex. So, so it seems to me the takeouts for that are if you live in a, you know, reasonably sized town or city that 
Look for opportunities to form that group. Great if you – we were – well, I'm going to say lucky, but it wasn't just luck. Our kids grew up in the same street as their cousins. That was unreal, right? But – and when I say all that, people say that's lucky, and it was lucky. But on the other hand, Lucy's sister and her husband came back from the States, and we kind of – both of us all got together and said, wouldn't this be good? And we actively tried to make that happen and look for an opportunity, and we took a while, but we found the opportunity. So we actually – I think everyone was aware this would be a really valuable thing if we could pull it off, if they could live close when they were coming back to Australia. So we kind of, everyone tried to make it happen, if you know what I mean. That was an important factor in for them, I think, and for us in, in where they live. So you can, you can kind of put that into the equation. And I guess the other takeout is really... If you can, don't move that much because because you're going to grow up in a community and if you're moving every two years, that makes it harder. Right. So when I lived with my younger family in the United States, one of the things, everyone moved all the time for work. Right. You yeah, yeah. They loaded up the U-Haul thing. They drove across the United States. They're in California one moment. They're in North Carolina where I was the next door. They're in Michigan. They just moved continuously. Thank God you've got such a sensible extended family. That is exactly what people should think about. Yeah. Where am I going to bring up my kids? Where are their siblings? Where are their cousins? Where are their grandparents? Every time I hear about some young family that's moved as far away as they can, I feel very sad about this myself, from their grandparents or the supports mm. or their own brothers and sisters, their own aunts and uncles, I'm thinking, oh, my God. you know. So a lot of this would have happened during COVID and whatever with the whole move out of the cities to more remote work, wouldn't it? Yeah. So people, I mean, the classic one is to chase employment, to chase opportunity mm. in various ways. But when you've got young Young children, when you've got young children, what you need. And you said a really important thing about cousins. Those of us who are lucky enough to have larger extended families have aunts, uncles, but the kids also have cousins in days when they don't have that many siblings anymore. Mm. Actually spending time with other kids. Now we have other substitutes like daycare and uh, preschool and other things, which actually I'm strongly, strongly encouraging, not just to make life easier for parents, but as socialization. And I realised, I was doing an interview recently with a, uh, I still consider you to be a journalist uh, or from the media industries, Yes. a female journalist who really beat me up and who said, I was talking about female participation in childcare in this very positive way, and she said, you've got to be kidding. Everyone knows that the best thing in the world for a child would be to be home with its mother. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. Like right. fact. Therefore, you know it because you're part of it. And I was going, but hang on, I'm from the, I'm from the actual, you know, science <laughs> development trying to figure this out industries, and uh, no. And she just said, oh, you. You're obviously wrong. What would you know? What would you yeah. know? And I'm getting into it a bit further. It was, you know, an interesting anxiety about, and I hear this a lot, because we're talking about brain sculpting here or developing circuits yeah. and how you influence brain development, because that's really what we're into. What's, mm. you know, how's mm. the brain responding to the environment? And of course, sitting under here was, I want to shape the environment. I want to shape my child's brain <laughs> yeah. to be the way I want the kid to be. And the maternal influence is the strongest one. I don't want all these other random influences from the rest of the world, grandparents, aunts, uncles, childcare, preschools, influencing my child. I want mm. the child to be a reflection of me. Yeah. I thought, oh, this is right. interesting. Oh, I thought this is interesting. We're into the, I really want the child to be an extension of me. Mm. I'm kind of arguing the opposite. <laughs> you know, you want the child to be able to fit in best with the world. Mm. And the world consists of a lot of different emotional states and temperaments. And to understand those things, going back to language, empathy, and other things, we want the kid to be conversant mm. with the variety that exists and be able to respond in different ways to different challenges. But I think, James, you said a really important thing there. I don't think people in our world think enough about where. Yeah. They bring up their kids. And who will be the extended family? I was very fortunate with my younger kids 
to have great experiences with family daycare and others where my kids essentially were brought up by a, an Italian family at one stage and another uh, family of mums and other people um, as real uh, extensions of our own home. The kids would say better homes than ours in many ways. In these groups with other people, sibs, cousins, mm. extended family, actually people we weren't even related to, but the relationship was like that. But also uh, my kids are lucky to have had a wide extension of cousins and families living largely in Sydney, largely in extension, and even better if somewhat closer, you know, to share those yeah, things. Yeah, it's great. My mum used to make the comment that uh, in her generation, um, large families, the kids slept in different houses, different places, as long as we were in one of the right houses when the sun went down, <laughs> didn't really matter, as long as all the kids were accounted for. And I can remember sleeping in other people's houses and other people's kids sleeping in our house and so, whatever. So you know, as a really rich thing. Now, that sort of thing is very hard. In our modern Western world. Is it? I mean, it seems to be. Okay, so let me ask you this. Everyone says, ev like talking about everyone says, everyone says, when I was a kid, we used to run free and it was all great and we'd play in the street for hours and as long as we were home by dark, it was fine and it's not like that anymore. Now, everyone has a bias, I think, in favour of the past is unreal. Past right. past so is there any evidence that actually backs that very commonly heard nostalgic anecdotal thing up? So if you go to the science about development, about enriched things, about the, the value of play, of creativity, yeah. of unstructured activity, of time spent with siblings and in these – yes – and not only, that, not only in the human world, but in the primate world and in the rodent world and in the dog world, all the same. Oh, you know, you I actually get that. See the, you actually see this enriched opportunities now. No, but, but my question was, is there any evidence there that there is less of that in 2022 than there was in 1980? Yes. Right. So if you, turn, if you look where kids spend their time now- why I say yes and then it's like, you know, caveat question, yeah, <laughs> asterisk yeah. to follow. Very good answer. Though. We Very have definite. invented other things. So now the formalisation of preschool, the formalisation of childcare, the formalisation of other things in the pre-five oh, period, it's sort of there but it's sort of different. In a different way. In a different way. So It's not the street, it's the pre preschool. Yeah, daycare. and I think the issue has become – um, there were dangers. I can remember losing a tooth in one of those running around the street being hit really? by a rock as a kid and, you know, I can remember the old trip to emergency departments and, you know, there were dangers in that freewheeling. You know? mm. um, and, and so there's a physical safety kind of thing that people have got to Oh, don't get with. me started on playgrounds. Look at this great new swing they've just put in. It's <laughs> almost a metre off the ground. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff. So, you know, more attention to physical safety. But, but – there is an issue that the, if, are the new forms very highly regulated, very highly – and are they as built around sort of care groups? Are they more transactional or are they actually more caring, you know? Mm. A kid, a parent's just checking their kids in and checking the kids out. Are they are developing relationships within those particular things? Now, I'm going to say, in my experience, most people who work in childcare are really great people. They're really nice people and, mm. you know, they're warm and good. But you need to develop – quite specific sets of relationships, hang out with certain groups, cousins, friends, grandparents, aunts, uncles, people you know reliably across a long period. Mm. So if you're changing those things all the time, not so good. So, of course, one of the big debates about all of this is about the longer-term emotional consequences. So 
People have noted the correlation between the decline in what you were talking about earlier on and the increase in anxiety and depression in younger kids and in children and in younger adolescents. As social connection has gone down in our society right. of that type, the rates of emotional difficulties in kids has gone up. Okay. Now, in the classic science sense, that is correlational. Now, some people would say it's causative. I think it's a bit – I'm not jumping right into that. Right. But we are concerned about the nature of social connections when kids are young to create the template for robust emotional development yes. longer term. So the bit I'm really interested in from a research point of view is if we change these – or look at these contrasting environments that kids are brought up in, do we see relationships, not with how good they are at maths at five, but their emotional state at 15? You know, actually, that the cognitive and sets of developments, the robust emotional development during those periods will have long-term consequences. Right, right. The third axis was care v. control. So you would say on that, wouldn't you, you know, we should all be at the caring axis. Yeah. So what caring. I see missing, what I see missing for this debate about these these parental styles, you know, more yeah. authoritarian versus less and more responsive or not and more wordy or not, I kind of left with... Does the kid know you care? Like, how is that demonstrated? How do you demonstrate it? Yeah. yeah. And why I kind of get a bit worked up about this is usually, you know, all of these parenting videos and everything I've seen, and there's a huge amount of this being marketed to particularly young parents. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly verbal. You rarely see the adult run in and pick up the kid or hug the kid right. or do something to relieve the distress of the kid that's physical. Yeah, it's incredibly right. verbal. Let's talk about it. Doesn't and I'm play. sitting there thinking – I'm hearing a lot of words. I'm not seeing – I'm not feeling a lot of love. Mm. I'm not feeling a lot of care coming through here. I'm hearing this kind of intellectual debate about the naming of emotions or the words. I'm not seeing the actual expression of it in facial expression, in hugging. Now, this arises very much in the work we're doing in other cultures about greater involvement of dads because a lot of them have grown up in situations in cultures where it's not uh, well approved of. Emotionally repressed. Restricted, yes. It's, it's not easily permitted. Mm. In fact, certain aspects of early childhood care and infancy, the dads are actively excluded. Yeah, like right. mums and grandmums and sisters can all be in it, but the dads can't be part of it. You know? mm. Dads shouldn't pick up and hug and look after and wash and fondle. And, and, and what fondle I mean by holding in a nice kind of way, their kids developing that physicality. Mm. Where actually a lot of dads are really good at that. Yeah. In fact, they'd much rather do that that have a long conversation mm. about it. I mean, they don't really use that kind of expression themselves. So you see these kind of things. I'm, I'm looking at these videos and I'm looking at these things thinking, can't the, can't the parent just, the dad, can't he just pick the kid up? Yeah, right. <laughs> Kid's upset. Kid's distressed. Kid so, did bang the door or whatever. I'm having an argument about the consequences or not. Can't he just pick him up? Can't he hug him? So the can't big bit of info is, is fine have rules and, and fine have consequences for the breach of rules. But continue to show care at every available opportunity, and you often that is in a physical way, give a cuddle, a hug, etc., holding hands, physicality, tone of voice. I mean, I'm going the physicality yeah, one because tone I, of voice. Uh, these parenting videos which drive me mad. There's video, there's words, and there's instructions, yeah. and there's type along the bottom, and there's little kid said this. Now you say that, and then they say this, and then you say that, and you go, hang on a second. <laughs> Just, mm. Can we just play? Can we get involved? Can we... Now, I was reminded this recently, looking at some, uh, again, in animal species, the way different 
species have rough and tumble play at different ages. You know, rats get in to rumble each other and primates rumble each other mm. and stuff, you know. A lot of the stuff we're trying to encourage this stuff isn't learning focused. It's not whether did you learn maths out of that, did you learn a book out of that, did you go and read the thing. The thing is you just go in rough and tumble play. Yeah. Which is interesting and it's called physicality. You know, how you can be physically engaged without hurting the other person. So to do that well, you've got to be responsive to the other person. You're not, you know, you're not just trying to dominate them or control them, but you might be wrestling, you might be doing particular things. But you're showing this kind of physicality and engagement in ways that all species do. But I, I think it's a worrying trend in a lot of our yeah, parenting sort of stuff. More. Discourages it. Yeah. I want to see more dads get more involved in that sort of stuff. Now, we're almost out of time, but we were going to say something about different parenting styles depending on the temperament of your kid. So whether you have an anxious, shy kid or an inattentive kid or a kid who's a bit more oppositional. Yeah, so one of the other big things I think in, in the whole world I'm in is, you know, everything gets reduced to a general rule or a general mm. philosophy of, and immediately in this, this thing I'm involved in around the world, the immediate feedback from all the countries we're working in is, that's all good, but uh, does it apply to my kid? Because <laughs> my yeah. kid is a bit more, is shy. Yeah. My kid is a bit more difficult, doesn't really respond to rules. My kid is a bit deviant in one way or other from general. Do these general rules apply what is the best thing for my kid? Mm. Now, I think this is fabulous because different kids are differentially responsive. So rather than saying just simply what's the parenting style you go for, and I've implied this, it's probably the one that best suits the parent. That's how they make choices. Yeah. You, the other side of the coin is well, what might be best for this kid? And you said an earlier thing, at their stage of development, some kids are more verbal. A lot of little girls are very verbal. A lot of little boys, not quite so much, you know. <laughs> one kind of stereotype, but, you know, in, in other ways, in other senses, some are very sensitive, very sensitive to criticism. So yeah. they're continuously so criticised. Yeah, need to back off with that in a big way. Yeah, Some kids are very breaking things all the time, get punished a lot, but the punishment has no effect. Mm. They have a lot of negative consequences, but in fact it doesn't actually have any effect on the behaviour. They just have the experience of being punished a lot. So what are they? What, what do you do with them? Well, you've got to develop a different style. That's actually got to find a way to work with them that isn't based on just reactive punishment. Yeah. Right. This, is, this is where, you know, behaviorism that I come from doesn't mean repeating the same thing and if getting a bad right. outcome. Yeah. yeah, it means actually finding those strategies that actually do work best. And so I think this is the other side of the coin that's missing, missing, missing a lot from the, all these videos. What's the kid like? Now, for those of us who have many, they're not all the same. Mm. You know, they've got different – I might have – you know, a rather narrow set of parenting attributes, but the kids are really different. So trying to find that. Now, part of that, of course, comes back to the village thing. You may have different people in the village or the family or whatever that get on in different ways, in better ways with those kids because they've got, guess what, similar temperaments, similar right. things. They understand better and the kid can see somebody else who's more like them. Yeah. And that, old, that older sibling or cousin or grandparent can model yeah, I've got that temperament, mm. but here's a way of behaving. Here's what works for me. Here's what works in a way. Here's what works in the world in a way. It's okay to be the way you are. It's okay to be shy. It's all right to be out there a bit more. It's all right to be in a particular way, but you've still got to fit in. You've still got to find a way yeah. to and develop I, that behavior. I think the other lesson that arises from that 
is to not think that working this all out is something you can just find the right book and apply it, then get back to the rest of your life. It is something that requires a lot of thought, a lot of trial and error, a lot of analysis, really. Okay, we tried that and, you know, this expert or this book said that, but it really isn't working. So what do we do now? And and it does require you to think of it as a just an ongoing organic Challenge. thing that Challenge. you have to devote some attention to. And also, if you sort it out for a four-year-old, in a year's time, they're going to be five and it'll all be different and you'll have to adjust, particularly that control aspect that every year if you're doing – well, your job right as a parent, I think you should be handing over more responsibility from you – to the kid, right? Every year there should be less control. Let's be clear. As parents, our goal is to get them out, yeah. independent and functioning. Yeah. Yes. One day they don't and want the it. the sooner the better. <laughs> One day they don't need to slash want to hold your hand as they cross their road and a little part of you dies. But on the other hand, that's a good step. That is the outcome. That is the desirable outcome. And I think this goes to another issue, which is for a very small number of kids, for a lot of parents, that idea that they're going to be independent and not need you anymore, pretty challenging. Oh, it is. It is. That's probably another topic, isn't it? Part two. Part two. All right. If you've got any questions or comments, want to suggest further topics for us, do send us an email at mindingyourmind2, that's mindingyourmindnumeral2 at gmail.com. And our podcast, Minding Your Mind, is supported by Future Generation Global and the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. Further help's available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health and Lifeline. Google them or you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. 